Welcome to the Emergent Experience Podcast. I'm Monique. And I'm Satoya. We are two close friends that share a passion for self-care, personal growth, and women's empowerment through honest dialogue and shared life experiences. Thank Thank you for for joining us. us. Welcome, guys. Um, We're kind of excited. Well, we're always excited to share something with you guys. So, um, we decided to kind of talk about admitting when you're wrong. Um, We tend to have these issues when we are, we find out that we made a mistake or that something significant or something significant or something that negatively impacted someone or somebody or something in some shape, way, or form, and it's our fault, we tend to just not want to acknowledge it. It's easier to point the finger, point blame, keep it moving, and really not learn from it. Um, So, we're going to talk about, you know, the act of wrongness. When did we get introduced to that? Because a lot of times how we how we were introduced to this as a young child is how we kind of, uh, it's how we react to any negative situation and how important, yeah. and how important it is for us to, um, how it's important for us to actually be wrong and to fail. Like we need that in our lives without being wrong, without failing, you're not able to grow. You're not able to evolve. You're not able to learn to become this better access self actual. Oh, I can't even talk. This better um, self-actualized person that we're supposed to be. Um, so I have a question mm-hmm, for you. Mm-hmm. From from your earliest memory, or from what you can remember, what was what do you recall your earliest or your initial? your initial interaction or encounter with failure? Earliest recollection. Um, Or at least the way that you interpreted failure. Because, you know, like, sometimes, like, sometimes something might happen, especially when, like, in kid world, you interpret something as failure mm -hmm. when, like, it might not necessarily be, but we like latch onto the to particular ideas of what failure means and mm-hmm. then that can almost tie into our inability to admit that we're wrong failure i'm trying to think what how far does that go back it's hard for me to remember the first the earliest recollection recollection as a child because i do remember always wanting to please my parents please my teacher please everyone so when I didn't get something right or when something I got, you know, I got the wrong answer or I said the wrong thing, it was the worst feeling for me. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily my teacher making me feel bad, but it was definitely being wrong in front of my peers. And I was a very, very, very shy, shy, shy girl. So for me to even open my mouth in front of all these people, was it was terrifying enough. And then to be made fun of or someone say something like you're dumb or anything like that, that was horrible. Mm. Um, and I actually lived that feeling for a while. It was not until maybe my teenage years, you know, when I got pregnant, everything changed. And that's when I was just like, yo, I'm not perfect. It is what it is. Screw all you guys. Cause I was so tired of trying to live up to this perfect quote unquote Christian, whatever that is, the church people wanted me to be. 
And at that point, I didn't care anymore because just like I couldn't take the pressure. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much that. And I don't know. I kind of got strong will. Like I'm not. I can't. I can't prove everything to everyone. But admitting when I'm wrong still became was difficult. Yeah. And I had to actually. I was aware of it, and I was aware of the feeling that I had when I was wrong, and I hated that feeling. I hated that feeling. So what I did, I forced myself to deal with it, and I forced myself to start admitting when I'm wrong and dealing with it because I I hated that feeling. Yeah. You know, that lump in your throat, uh, that feeling of hotness that goes over your body or your face, that heavy um, feeling of embarrassment or shame or just self-conscious of what people think of you. I was so sick of it. I couldn't take it anymore. I was my own therapist. I forced myself to kind of go through some things. Yeah, I feel like a lot, like, especially having similar backgrounds with, like, church and all of that, like there is a heavy shame that comes with making a mistake Mm -hmm. because making a mistake wasn't considered something that you did incorrectly. It was attributed to who you are as a person. Mm You wickedy. It's your wickedy. How am I wicked? Because I said you stink. Don't tell, don't do that. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have said it the way I said, but don't tell me I'm wicked. You're wicked. That's all. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's stuff like that. You know. Um, get pregnant. All of a sudden, I'm doing drugs. Oh, I'm doing drugs now. Like that is the that is the severity of, and I think that's a lot of it did come from that. Yeah, because that was my experience at church too, where like a lot of people didn't know. N- they didn't know a lot that was going on in my house or like things that I was going through, but they made assumptions. I was just like, Oh, Sataya is doing this and this and that. And Sataya, blah, 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 blah. And I may hear say, Sataya. That is, for those of you who do not understand Patois, that oh. is basically them talking gossip. Okay, they have the T in church. They act like they're so godly, but they have the T, okay? They are literally talking about a 14-year-old girl or a 12-year-old girl. Like, it's like you are a grown woman. And right. that is a, that is your early... Honestly, that is my early experience. Now that you say that, it was everything around around church. And if I didn't do something right, I wasn't perfect. Um, it never was looked at, okay, she's learning or she's trying to develop who she is or... It was never that. Yeah. It was never yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, oh wow, yeah, you took it. You made me think about it a little deeper, yeah. Um, because yeah, not necessarily it was home. It was a lot. Of, the influence was church, and church had a big influence on my family. Right. Yeah, and I always had a really, I had a really tumultuous relationship with failure and the idea of wrongness, mm. because, like, I was told. I was told by the faith community that I was supposed to live a certain way. I was told by my parents I was supposed to live a certain way. But then my parents weren't living the way that I was being told I should live. Hmm. And the church was supporting behaviors that didn't support what they told me I should be or how I should live. Hmm. Or, Or getting in trouble for things that... 
like making a mistake and then getting in trouble when I would try to fix the mistake. So like one time I spilled juice and I went to get paper towel and then I got in trouble for using too much paper towel. <laughs> so I'm just like, I, I don't really like, Am I so- I'm trying to understand what wrongness is because it seems like if I make a mistake and I try to admit to that mistake by doing the necessary steps to address it and to fix it, that somehow I, I'm still wrong, like mm-hmm. across the board. That's true. I think so I was always really confused. I think I still do that now with my kids, poor things. Um, and it's, it's a, but for me, it's an anxiety driven thing because it was done to me. Every little thing that is out of place, out of place, that doesn't seem right. I'm, not, I'm definitely a lot better than I think I was as a younger person. I'm definitely a lot better than I think a lot of my family members. But I still get like that. Like, why are you pouring so much milk? You're wasting the milk. Like, it's so anxiety-driven for me to react that way. <laughs> I and so get my that. kids, probably, they, they probably will stop drinking milk now because I <laughs> scream at them. For, and it's not like we can't afford milk, but it's just thing that was done to me and I like it's so ingrained yes I get that because when we were kids (laughs) nobody could eat the last of anything so if there was like one cookie left you better not be the last person to eat it you don't care what nobody want to eat nobody (laughs) else want cookie in here like it was just like this thing where it was just like do not be the last person if you see one cookie in it just leave it in there for your mother yes leave it in there (laughs) But you know what? Now that I am a parent of three children who be eating, even a two-year-old be going, he goes in that thing and takes the stuff out. Like, I had my heart set on, what was it that I bought? And now, you guys, I think we shared this before, and if I haven't, I had um, weight loss surgery. So there's certain things I just can't eat or just choose not to eat. So I did buy, they had some snacks, but I I wanted to have the lemon Oreo cookie. I just wanted one. I was going to enjoy that one lemon, lemon Oreo cookie with some tea. I lied to you not. I bought that joint yesterday. The next <laughs> day, gone. there was nothing in it but that empty, that empty ass carton. <laughs> With crumbs. Yo, I was <laughs> mad, y'all. And I flipped out like, yeah, I get it. You see, it's hard. It's hard because it was, <laughs> it was done <laughs> to you. But what I am practicing now is trying to like take a step back and say, listen, I'm not perfect. Um, do do I am I happy that I yelled at you? No. I'm trying, but I'm letting you know that I'm not perfect. Yeah. And I take my I'll take my L. Yeah. But I think like that's highlighting the point of of how like how rigid that type of thinking is and the fact that it can become generational, something that we pass on mm-hmm. to our children. And you know, we talk about what does it mean to be wrong? What does it say about you? It doesn't say anything. Being wrong is not a normal thing. We are we make assumptions, we make mistakes, we have opinions. Our opinions may not necessarily be based on facts. It, right. It can be biased. And we need to be more welcoming to when people do make mistakes. Like, um I practices practices a little bit more now, especially my patients, they'll say certain things or they make you know, they'll feel so bad and I'm like, Okay, all right, you made a mistake. We make mistakes, and it's okay. What yeah. We do, what we do after is what we focus on. Yes, I think that's the key. Like the most important 
part of the mistake making process is our response. Mm-hmm. What do we do after we've made the mistake? How do we respond? How do we, what is the process that we go through to reflect and to kind of like dig a little bit deeper and see what's happening internally? Or like, do we hold on to the mistakes that we made? Even if it's like the smallest, like, cause you know, some mistakes are not that big of a deal, but mm-hmm. do we internalize it so deeply, even if it's something that is really isn't a, a big deal? Well, you know what, when it, when you, when it's ingrained from you so young, when you are wrong and your parents did chastise you in a way that we said are even worse, the feelings of, um, being, um, uh, inadequate, the feeling yeah. of being uh, less than the feeling of being just worthless the feeling mm-hmm. of being imperfect and judged, that stays with you so heavy that it grows with you. So as an adult, you can't even admit the wrongness because it goes back to your little girl or your little boy self when you were chastised and made to feel like that. Yeah. When those things happen, you really tap into your little boy, little girl self. Like your, your, your two-year-old self, your five-year-old self, your seven-year-old self, that's all, your eight-year-old self, that's what that is. Yeah. Like, am I worthy? Am I valuable? Am I still loved? Mm-hmm. Do I still belong? Am I going to get a whipping? Is mom around the corner even though I'm 40? Yeah, you know? right? <laughs> like, that stuff actually is very much ingrained. Um, it's so true. And the the other thing I, I was thinking about as you were talking, um, the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking was, sorry, Zoe's watch went off and it distracted me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, but the other thing I was thinking about as you were were talking was, like, I I haven't talked about... I haven't talked about this in a lot of detail or anything, like, Mm -hmm. about my childhood, but Mm -hmm. um, growing up in a very abusive home, um, I couldn't afford to be wrong. Like, Mm. getting something wrong or making a wrong assessment could have been life or death. Mm. And that is significant. That's actually, that's so traumatic. So you're having, whenever you are wrong, you're having this literally PTSD reaction. Yes. You're getting flashbacks. You're having that feeling of angst, the anxiety, that fear, the overwhelming feeling that you could not take as a kid creeping back up as maybe your 20-year-old self. Yes. When things were wrong. That makes sense. For the longest time... (laughs) For the longest time, like a paper cut was equivalent to a broken leg. Mm. Like it was all the same. Like the 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 response was all the same mm. because like if I got something wrong, it was like, man, I could die. <laughs> hmm. If I eat the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, if I say the wrong thing, if I walk up the wrong street, if I walk down the wrong street, like it could be the end of me or somebody that I care for so like it was just it was such it was such a big deal to um, make sure that I wasn't wrong and if you see fear is a big uh, theme through all this yeah whether it's the the severity but it's some type of fear fear of something Mm mhm so what about practicing when you're wrong when did you start doing that? Like actually saying, oh, my bad. I actually did this wrong. Or when did you start feeling comfortable enough to do that? Um, 
Hmm. I think for me, it probably wasn't until my mid twenties. <laughs> Like, it took that long because I think that for the most part, I I didn't allow myself to get close enough to people to be wrong. Uh. So, like, I wasn't vulnerable enough for to get to that point. To get to that point. Oh. Yeah. So I I was transparent to a degree but I wasn't vulnerable enough for me to have to have those kinds of interactions. And so when I, and when I, it was so uncomfortable to be like, oh, sorry, I was wrong. Because for it, it felt like it was, it felt like being wrong was attributed to me as a person as opposed to a simple mistake. Mm. But I think all of that stemmed from my trauma of like, Oh, you spilled juice. Oh, um, oh, this thing happened over here. So I guess I'm just going to throw you out of a three-story window. Like, it was just that dramatic Mm -hmm. that everything was just, like... Exaggerated. Okay. So I'm thinking... Even the little, the the most minor infraction was just the biggest thing for me to just be like, oh, yeah, sorry, I was wrong. It's It's conditioning. I'm yeah. still jacked up about flushing toilets because my father says, "Why are you flushing the toilet so much? The water is wasting." I'm like, "We wasting water, the flushing water the toilet? is wasting." I'm like, "Yo, what is going on here?" Like, <laughs> so up to this day, I have like this complex about flushing the toilet too much. It's crazy. Oh you see how we get conditioned, people, and we putting all our business out here. So, um, so you know that this is not just you. And if you have never had any of the experience like this. I, you must be inhuman. <laughs> okay? Someone has some form or shape. I always believe that it all starts in childhood. And then all the other experiences continue and add on. So, I don't have as much issue with it now, though. What? Like, I'm admitting that I'm wrong now. Mm-hmm. Because the more, the more my self-awareness has increased and the more I have um, really leaned into my worthiness... Mm-hmm. I have no problem saying that I was wrong because if the person chooses to not stay, then that's on them. So for me, it's like, okay, this was a lesson learned. I'll do better but next time. if they're judging me based on my mistakes, then right. that's that's on them. Mm-hmm. Like, it is what it is. Yeah, and I think that's when you get beyond. You get past that what I um, had talked about before, cognitive dissonance, and you have this one belief about yourself, you know, I'm this kind person, I'm nice, I'm perfect, I can't make mistakes. And then the real you comes out. And the real you is a human person. The mistakes happen. And yeah. that is another feeling that makes make you very uncomfortable. Like you're in the shock, like, oh my God, maybe I am this person. And that also stops you from admit, admitting you're wrong. Yeah. Knowing that. Because then you get confronted with, mm-hmm. like, who you believed you are versus something that you did mm-hmm. that wasn't who you believed you were. And it's okay to question those things. Because if you portray yourself to be this person and you do something that's very vile or wicked, she wickedy. That is where you need to really think about, you know, your motives and your actions. And does this really reflect who I am? And if someone calls you out on that, it's okay. That's what. Yeah. I would want someone to call me out on my stuff. 
if you are around me and you never do, then you're not a real person or a real friend for me. You shouldn't be around me. Yeah. Uh-oh. And I think some of it, I think, I think the other thing that can happen in terms of um, challenges with failure and, and making mistakes or admitting mistakes and failures has to do with the unrealistic expectations that we have that about ourselves that we also reflect onto other people mm-hmm. that really is a reflection of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Seen that before. When I was crucified for being a teenage mom, I remember um, a certain wonderful loved one said to me, Monique, the same people are talking about you have so much, they have so much history that it's literally like they're throwing stones at themselves. Mm. So, you know, that's another thing. You see a reflection of who you are and you can't stand it. Yeah. So it's hard for you to admit that you are that person. So it's easy to crucify. And God forbid you admit it. Oh my God, you're a horrible person. You you can't handle it. That's true. um, I want to talk about a little study that I found, um, and the website will be on the um, in the notes. But um, it's about power and control. A European study found that people who refused to apologize had more self-esteem and control than those who did. This relates to power and control. If I admit my wrongdoing to another person, they now they now are at my emotional mercy. Do they forgive and spare my shame, or do they hold on and make me suffer in my shame? I think that's pretty deep. Um, This basically means that when we do apologize, we are, we have, we have, you know, lowered, lowered our threshold. We kind of broke the walls down. We are open and kind of, we're vulnerable. And for that period of time in that vulnerability, that person can either accept, reject, or can, I mean, it's just really what it is, accept or reject. And rejection is very hard for a lot of us. Um, you have to think about that. Is it, is it a power control thing for you? And why is it so hard for you to be vulnerable? So how do we change this? How do we change our behaviors and learn from our mistakes? The first thing I would say, start questioning the reason for your discomfort during the time you make a mistake. When you know that feeling no one can say they didn't know. Maybe some people completely dis, you know, disoriented and disassociated from themselves. But we all have been to a situation when we knew that we were wrong. We know that feeling. We know what that feels like because that's why we try to ignore it. So when you're in that feeling, when you're in that moment of that discomfort, that is when you ask yourself, what is this about? Why am I feeling this way? Start. You need to start asking yourself these questions. Why do I feel like this? When was the last time I felt like this? Or when was the earliest time I felt like this? And then how realistic am I being right now with my thoughts? Okay, if I'm wrong, is the world going to end? Am I going to get punched? Are they going to shoot me? Like, what is it? You have to start questioning yourself. Whether if you can't, if you're not a person to do it in the brain like me, I I write papers in my brain before I start writing papers. Maybe you need to write it down, put it in a journal, do a vlog, whatever that is. You need to start really questioning yourself about the things that you do and the feelings of the discomfort that you have because I always tell this is what I tell my patients I tell my friends this like you gotta be comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah definitely 
you're not going to be able to change if you do if you if you don't um and then find some people who are safe that you can talk to and when i say a person who's safe it could be a therapist Maybe a pastor or a counsel who you know is a very mutual, level-headed, wise person. Um, you want people who you know will not judge you. And you can practice a lot of this and get good feedback. Getting good feedback from someone who will be honest, someone who knows you, and someone you respect is one of the best things. And the rest of the ways you can kind of learn and move forward and kind of evolve the way you behave, you react, and evolve your thinking. Um... Get familiar with your defense mechanisms. The one that you use to justify everything. Get to know that. Because every time it pops up, sometimes it's so automatic you don't even realize you're being defensive. You need to start recognizing when that happens. So when you're not being defensive, you need to sit back and think, okay, when have I been very defensive? Or when has someone actually said to me, you're being a little bit too defensive right now? Think about those things. I don't care if you don't like the person or if you think the person is wrong. Think about that situation, that scenario. What was said, what happened. If you can remember what was said, most likely you're gonna know you're gonna know there's something triggering. Something triggered you. Right. And at that point you gotta say, wait a minute, why did that particular word, why did that particular day, why did that particular person, why did that scent, what about that triggered me to the point where I became super defensive and I could not respond to anything? Yes. Maybe it reminds you of you you know, the aunt that used to you know, scrutinize you or an old boss that made you so uncomfortable about everything that you did you got to think about those things all yes of, or all, yeah go ahead oh i was gonna say um or if it's like a constant re- reframing of everything mm-hmm. like are you unwilling to admit your mistakes because you're reframing them in a positive light to where you to the point where you don't even see that you've made a mistake okay we don't got time that that is that is you are completely like not in reality and I shouldn't be so rough but listen you gotta stop it it's true you're though. walking in a cloud and you're actually hurting yourself more than you can ever ever imagine because at some point that cloud that you have it's not gonna be able to carry you and at some point reality sits in and then you're gonna be thrown so many different curves ball that you're not gonna be able to function or handle it so it's better that you stop walking in this like cognitive dissonance. That's where the cognitive dissonance comes from. Yes. You stop walking in that. Be realistic. We, we, You hurt. We have pain. We cry. We laugh. And if there's something in you that makes you separate those things, that means there's most likely something very damaging or traumatic that happened to you and you're not able to, to, to put rea- realism and your feelings together and actually be one person. That is right. a little bit of disassociation and you should look it up in a dictionary uh, or DSM-5 and you really need to go and see a therapist. I'm just going to be real. You need to see a yeah. therapist. Yeah. And like with all of that, you're not like a person is not able to learn from their mistakes if they're busy reframing them away. Mm-hmm. And you're going to hurt people. You're going to hurt people. You can hurt, If you have children, you're going to hurt your children. You can hurt your family if you haven't done it already. And you're going to hurt yourself. And I always say love yourself enough to not do those. Like, to, to love yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be empathetic to yourself. Be understanding and allow yourself to evolve and love and grow in a way that you need to. Um, and sometimes people are more forgiving. Like, some people are more forgiving than you think. A lot of times you're so busy re- work, getting worked up about what the person thinks. And they're just like, dude, uh, I messed up too yesterday. So it is what it is. Some, yeah, not everyone is so horrible. And sometimes it's our own projection or, or, or our own 
imagination mm -hmm. about what we believe that other people are thinking. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I made this mistake. Oh, so-and-so might be thinking this. I bet you they're thinking that. And, oh, they did this thing. They just looked at me this particular way. And then you attribute what you're thinking they might be thinking yep. when really they're not thinking that at all. And this happens very early in age. Believe it or not, what throughout my life, I mean, just my own life experiences, experiencing that self-consciousness -conscious that you think people are saying or thinking, or you're like you say, you're projecting these thoughts of what you think people are saying, but it's not. Those same people are having the same feeling, okay? Those same right? people who you think are judging you, they're having the same feeling. I have interacted with young children, adolescents, young adults, middle age, geriatrics. Usually when they get to that point, they don't care no more. But <laughs> they have all, we've all gone through that phase of wondering or worrying what other people think. Yeah. If we actually admit our wrongs, admit like we're not perfect and I'm thinking that you're thinking this about me, most likely it's going to be like, oh, really? Oh, okay. You're just like me. No, nah, that's not what it is. But I'll tell you. Blah, you know, X, Y, and Z. We got to be a little, be a little more, um, be a little more open and be optimistic. And if you do, if your feelings get hurt, you know what? Your feelings get hurt and it doesn't. It's not the end of the world. No. Like our feelings getting hurt is not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Our feelings getting hurt is a reflection of our humanity. Absolutely. And then we grow and we heal and we learn from, from those things. Yes. And so with all that we said, um, the last thing to do, if you're not, if you're not able to do the things that I suggested, or you're not able to, it, it's, it, you're able to do some, but it gets real difficult. That's when therapy comes in. You know, I remember speaking to someone talking about doing a lot of self work on yourself and it was easy. It's never easy to, to do work on yourself. It's never easy. It is not. If you have worked on yourself and it was a piece of cake, you have done nothing. There's no way. You are in a world of fluff. And sometimes I'll call people out on it. And sometimes I, I can tell that they're not ready to receive that at that time. Yeah. But it's 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 there. There's no it's way it's easy. It's deeply uncomfortable. Yes. Very. So if you need a little help, find a therapist. I know it's very hard out there, um, especially depending on the areas that, that you live in. Some people may not take insurance. Some people charge your arm and a leg. Sometimes you want someone you identify who may be African-American or Asian-American. Or you want someone who identified because you're gay or, you know, all you're Christian. There's so many different things that you need that you think you need or may be very important for you in therapy. And it's hard to find, but try to find one. And even if they're not exactly what you think you want, at least give them a try to see what, what you can get until you find that person. It doesn't hurt. And guess what, people? Black girls, white girls, white men, black women, Chinese, African, whatever you call yourself, we all go to therapy. We all got issues. So stop it. It's not a color thing. It's not a culture thing. We all need therapy. Believe it or not, there's, we go and seek, seek counsel in some way, shape or form within our, within, within the context of our culture. And sometimes we just don't want to admit that we are, that we need it or that's, or that that's what it is. Especially my church, my church folk. Come on now. You need therapy. Stop running around screaming and jumping up and down acting like that's what it is. No, no, no. You need therapy. You need to talk some things through. Because it'll, no matter how much you holler and how much you cry, it's not going to take away that pain that is ingrained in you. you got to start using the wisdom and using the resources that you guys have, that we have. Yes. You have to learn to honor the process process of your healing by confronting the things that need to be confronted. Mm -hmm. And from there then you can actually start the healing process. Absolutely.
So, we are wrapping up. We did good. I think it's about 30 minutes. Hello. And uh, we, of course, we're going to end with our quote. Um, You want to read, Satoya? Yeah. This quote is by Dale Turner. It is the highest form of self-respect to admit our errors and mistakes and make amends for them. To make a mistake is only an error in judgment, but to adhere to it when it is discovered shows infirmity of character. Okay. Till next time. All right. Bye. Bye.